we have a choice when we are in the supermarkets to buy the, the ones that are more fair when it comes to, um, to the way that they are being produced and the, and the salaries that are being paid. But I'm also thinking about governments. I think companies just don't change by themselves. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest, uh, who will introduce himself. Uh, Wilfried, please go ahead. Hello, Maurice. Thank you for uh, for inviting me for this podcast. Um, my name is Wilfried Schasvoort. I'm a director of Fair and Sustainable Consulting, a consultancy company based or rooted in the Netherlands. Um, by background, I'm a, I'm a geographer. I studied uh, human geography in the University of Utrecht and also did a major on development economics in Wageningen University. Um, when I finished university, I spent some time working in Mali, in Rwanda, in Kenya. And, um, and uh, well, actually, I started working for a number of organizations, NGOs. Uh, I worked for Service Abroad. I worked for Dutch Interchurch Aid. I worked for ECO. ICCO, a Dutch development organization. And at the moment, I'm working under Director of Fair and Sustainable Consulting. Through the years, I um, worked a long time in development cooperation. You know, there are some things that you uh, you start with, you start with ideals, and you start and you, you, uh, you add some realism to these ideals. And then you end up doing what I'm doing at the moment, being uh, a consultant and uh, trying to <laughs> make uh, an impact in the world as a social enterprise and trying to assist uh, to help people's lives by by working on um, increased income of people and sustainable livelihoods so that's actually what what I'm doing and um, maybe just to, to sketch a little bit the background of the company that I'm working with fair and sustainable consulting is a is an international consultancy company with uh, offices in the Netherlands and in Ethiopia and in Kenya. And we have about 40 people working for us. And our main objective is to work towards increased income and sustainable livelihoods. From what I've learned from development cooperation, um, I'm not a big fan of, of uh, subsidy kind of uh, development cooperation where people just are not enough triggered to make something out of their lives, but get stuff for free. And um, we really embrace what we call market systems development approaches. I more or less describe it sometimes as development cooperation 3.0, where 1.0 would be, let's say, uh, giving people a fish. Uh, 2.0 would be 
not to give people uh, a fish, but give them a rod or a net so that they can catch one. But 3.0 would be to make sure that people are able to buy a rod or a net to catch this fish. And in that way, we would work with organizations that will give them loans or enable them in any other way to, to catch those fish for the markets that exist. So that's a little bit the way that we work. We want to work towards scalable economic opportunities for people so that they can make a living income out of that. Mm. Yeah, thanks thanks for that, uh, Wilfried. So, so um, how many years does your... Um, yeah, is is the age of of the company? When when did you start? Because you were the first director, right? Kind of the yes. founder. Or, yeah. Yeah, I I set up the the, the enterprise in two thousand ten, mm -hmm. and when we started, it was uh, small. It, we were about eight people, and but we realized that there is a lot of uh, potential in working in developing countries, and at the moment, we're actually really trying to expand in the developing countries themselves. So we try to expand the capacity there. Mm. Because the times are over when you fly in international experts from Europe or from other places in the West to assist people in Africa to tell them uh, how they can best uh, do their work. There are so many bright young people in, in, in developing countries that you can work with and they understand the context much better than we do. So to combine those knowledge, international knowledge from people in the West with people in developing countries, I think is the best formula to have uh, successful development interventions. So that's what we're really trying to focus on to, to expand our capacities in developing countries. It's also related to some of the discussions that have been going on recently about uh, white uh, supremacy and white privilege, things like that. Um, uh, we really feel that there is a, a lot of potential and a lot of talent in developing countries. So. That's where we want to work with. Hmm. So that's pretty impressive to go, you know, from eight um, initially and now to 40 staff, you said, and then from one country to several. But what is the kind of the secret of, of the success? Maybe it's not as a secret, it's very obvious, but yeah. No, well, it's we are very practical. So we try to assist our clients. Uh, who are, uh, Our clients are companies. Uh, we work on corporate social responsibility with them to, to, to advise them on how they can do more responsible sourcing of their products, uh, which they sell in in Western uh, supermarkets or, uh, or, or other, any other market. Um, but we, we are practical, so we try to really come up with solutions that work in practice. That's why we also work with people who have lived and worked in developing countries themselves. So it's not the people that work with us. I always say they should understand what it is to be a farmer in a developing country, and um, so that's what I think. Then then you can work towards solutions because if you understand the problems of people, then you can really work towards finding solutions for them. So we are not that much into writing uh, long reports or nice books or doing research and publications. We really try to help our clients to make things work in practice. Mm. And, and um, could you give our listeners a, a concrete example of a recent project or a project that you're proud of, that you were part, part of? Well, actually, at the moment, we're we are working in, 
in Kenya mm -hmm. um, on a project that is uh, uh, well, it's it's focused on black soldier fly production. Black soldier fly is a is a fly that produces larvae that are very nutritious for animals. Mm -hmm. So in that um, these larvae they will replace the protein component in animal feed uh, for pro for protein components in animal feed usually. Um, the millers use soy or fish meal, which in, everybody knows is very environmentally destructive. You know, it uh, takes a lot of, of land to produce soy and um, fish meal is usually the side cache of, of, of fishing. And, you know, the oceans are being uh, are depleted and there's a lack of, of, of uh, arable land also. So by producing insects as a substitute for those sources is very useful. And in Kenya, we have recently started a company called Fair and Sustainable Insect Farms, where we are trying to assist young people, especially women, to become, um, to start up this business as an alternative uh, source of income and produce black soldier fly larvae and sell them to chicken farms, to pig farms, to uh, <laughs> fish farmers, um, to replace uh, the, the traditional animal feed into a more insect-based feed, and um, you know, I'm very proud of that because mm -hmm. that is a uh, we found some very uh, motivated young Kenyans who want to enter this business, and they can really make uh, a fair income out of that, and even pay their their workers a fair income. So that's why I'm. Um, it's one of the initiatives I'm very proud of, and I mm -hmm. think it has a lot of potential to scale up and to create a lot of employment for young people. Wilfried, you, you know that I work for, for an organization within the U.S. And what, what we see is that, um, yes, you know, uh, we have worked and we are working uh, in many countries overseas. And yes, you, you know, like you, we are looking at, okay, what is the local capacity? How can we collaborate together? You know, reduce the, the number of people flying in, the so-called experts. What we also see because of a changing world, but also maybe because we have identified the sustainable development goals together. And those uh, sustainable development goals apply to the whole world. Um, that uh, we see we also have a role to play within the US itself. Um, do you see your organization working within the Netherlands? Um, because that's where you started. Or are you already part of, you know, initiatives within the Netherlands? Because the Netherlands is also coping with climate change. Yeah, a lot of issues related with, with farmers as well, et cetera, et cetera. So what's your, your yeah. opinion about that? Yes, um, I think, you, you know, we, we, we live in one global village and everything is connected. So I think there is no denying that uh, the way that we behave is very important for the, the, the prospects of people in developing countries. It's not only our, our footprint huh, that we will, have, of course, we'll have to reduce it in order to, mm -hmm. to have uh, sustainable lives for everybody. I just heard this week that apparently this week we have consumed everything the earth is able to produce. And so now we are talking about the uh, beginning of August. We have mm -hmm. already consumed everything that the earth is producing in one year. So now... We are we are consuming more or less what is uh, what was built up before. So 
If we continue doing that, of course, that will be a big problem. The other thing, what I think is um, what we fo should focus on and what we're also trying to do is to, to, to concentrate on issues of um, living wage and living income. And that relates to our consumption pattern. If we are not able to pay the real prices of products and they were not able, then people in developing countries will not be able to make a decent living. If you are not able to support your family uh, with health care, with school for your schooling for your children, or cannot provide proper food because your income is just too low, um, then you cannot expect people to just to stay calm where they are and stay put where they are. But people will start migrating. Everybody will do that. So I think if you are not uh, able to, uh, ready to face the situation that people in developing countries should make mm -hmm. a living income or a living wage from whatever they do, then I think, yeah, I think that that's, that's um, and it starts all, of course, with consumption. It starts with consumption behavior. Uh, which are the products we are going to buy. Uh, we have a choice when we are in the supermarkets to buy the, the ones that are more fair when it comes to, um, to the way that they are being produced and the, and the salaries that are being paid. But I'm also thinking about governments. I think companies just don't change by themselves. They will run for the deepest place. If you look at the garment industries, you know, they've moved from, from Indonesia through Cambodia, through Laos, through Bangladesh, and now they are settling down. Oh, they went through China as well. And now they're settling down in Ethiopia because the salaries are even lower than they were in other countries. So if we do not stop that kind of behavior of company, companies by legislation and um, telling them to pay these living wages to their, to their employees, I think um, nothing is going to change. And these, these things have to change in the, in the Western world. They have to change in the US, they have to change in Europe, because, and this is also what we're, what we're pushing for. We very much as kind of sustainable, um, we try to push for living wages, living income. So when we're dealing with companies or when we're dealing with governments mm -hmm. and advising them on how to work on development projects or public private partnerships with, with companies, then we always try to push for uh, the payment of living wages and living income. So there's a lot of work for us to do here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and it might have changed over time as well. Where you where you you know the, the work within the Netherlands is maybe increasing on the on the policy levels as well. And, uh, yes. And on the basis of of what you're learning and yeah. Absolutely. And as, when it comes to working with companies, I think uh, um, what we saw in the Netherlands there was a there was a a strong tendency some about 10 years ago saying that private sector would be the solution for many of these problems. But the private sector is not the solution. I'm not saying that uh, it's, it's them to blame for it, um, but you should be realistic about what to expect from private sector. Um, they are not the ones who are going to change the world. So I think it's the, it's the, order, the public um, pushing for changes and the government uh, uh, putting legislation into place. And then I think you can work with the private sector to implement it, but it's not the private sector who's really going to uh, run to make these changes and start paying higher because they're all run for, for their, for their uh, profits and their shareholders. So I think um, this is something that has to come from governments and from the, from the awareness of the public.
you know, we, we the whole world is facing COVID uh, challenges. How did your company deal with that? Uh, yeah, that was in, that was an interesting time. Um, of course, we were uh, we was uh, we had we faced serious difficulties when we were not able to travel anymore. But we felt like okay, we went into uh, some scenarios and we said okay, if this is going to last until the end of 2020, what are the actions we have to undertake? If it's going to last until the end of 2021, what are the actions we have to take? And then if this is never going to end again, which actions do we have to take then? So we looked at it and we thought okay, there are some things that we have to do anyway in all these three scenarios, and one is that we'll have to decentralize quicker. What I was talking about earlier. We have to really have to um, make sure that we have more capacity in the countries where we are working for. And the second thing is we'll have to uh, invest more in online uh, services. And so mm. we developed some online trainings. We developed, we also also trained our whole team, the whole staff in how to work with uh, all kinds of software programs where you can facilitate, that you can use to facilitate workshops online, et cetera. So, really felt like we have to do that more. And I'm sure that some of these things will be there to stay. Um, where we were doing gender workshops or market systems development workshops in the past uh, in the countries themselves. By, but now we see that it works just as well by doing them online and um, having some self-paced kind of trainings. And uh, I think uh, we've learned from that that it's not always necessary to fly in. And um, there are there are more things that you can do from a distance than before. And by making these adjustments in the organization, we've managed to catch up. And um, we are now back on, let's say, the same work volume we had before. Mm, great. Well, that's, that's, that's good to hear. Hey, uh, Wilfried, you know that, that uh, I started this uh, podcast as a spin-off of my 100-mile walk that I've been doing for the last nine years. And I hope to, to do the 10th in October of this year. Um, you know, because I was not able to be to be joined by by uh, what I call fellow uh, co-walkers, um, so we started to do it online, and then I started to do this podcast. Um, but I walk a hundred mile uh, to uh, raise awareness and funds uh, to end hunger, um, poverty, and uh, ask attention for injustices around the world. Um, if you would be asked to walk 100 miles uh, in a week, so that means 15 to 20 miles per day, uh, what is the course that you would uh, walk for? Well, I would probably walk for, for the climate um, because I think, you know, it's if you look at the news every day, you see that there are, there are serious climatic issues everywhere. Um, and it looks like things are speeding up very fast faster maybe than people had anticipated uh, before. Um, initially, it was about uh, carbon emissions uh, in the air, something that you could not really see. And people were talking about it. And there was global warming. But who can really sense uh, half a degree of increase in temperature and things like that? But now, if you look at, at the, the, the changes in the weather, weather patterns, and, and you see that uh, permafrost in Siberia is is really melting down, releasing a lot of carbon uh, gases. If you look at the, the, the fires that are taking place in, in, in Southern Europe, I think, you know, and I'm, I'm always frustrated by people who, who continue to deny that something is happening. 
because um, when it comes to climate, I think uh, our generation and maybe the generation of our of our parents as well, these are the two generations that actually uh, managed to 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 destroy this this climate. And I think as whatever we have, we still have uh, as possibilities to somehow uh, reverse it. I think we should we should also take it as our responsibility, our generation. To address some of these issues, and um, so whatever we can do to create more awareness, um, despite the fact that so many people are already quite aware that something needs to be done, but at the level of legislators and politicians, I think um, the urgency is not really—it's uh, not really there. Yeah, and I, I, I think what you're mentioning is very relevant as we speak. Uh, we speak with each other um, on the tenth, no, on the ninth of August, um, and and I think today uh, there is a press release around uh, the sixth IPCC report, which is really important. Uh, right. and, and yeah, it's it's unfortunately it's not bright. You know, there is it's it's grim, and there is a lot. Of, there are a lot of things that that need to be done. Yeah, Wilfried, I, when I talk about the pandemic, I, I, uh, I think people should realize that we are all interconnected. That's why this is a pandemic. It's affecting the whole world. And I wish, you know, the, the, one of the, the silver linings of all of this is that we have realized that and that we need to collaborate together and, and work together. Unfortunately, too little. Yeah, I, I see too little of that. It's still, you know, looking at our own little world and trying to solve that. And you, it's it's clear, no country can solve this pandemic. But, uh, so we can only do this together. And also climate change, we can on, only do uh, solve together. So, yeah, it's great that you would walk uh, for that. Um, you know, I when I walk pe- with people, uh, either physically... Um, or, or virtually, we often talk about, you know, what drives you in life. And, and uh, I, I think that's also a question that might come up because I, I, uh, you told me that uh, this coming weekend you will uh, cycle uh, to, to southern Spain from the Netherlands, which is pretty impressive. So I, I think you will, you know, this question will go through your head as well. You know, why am I on this earth and, and what drives me? Um, so, you know, I go... I make a jump ahead of, of that and, and ask you, you know, in the morning um, when your alarm clock goes off or you wake up by yourself, why do you get out of bed? Well, um, of course, it goes back to uh, far back, you know, it's, it, it originally, of course, where you come from. Um, you know, when I grew, when I grew up, there was, a, um, we, we didn't have a lot of money to spend you know it was by my, my father used to work very hard as a as a carpenter and spending a lot of time during the week making a living somehow um so when i when i chose to to start what what i wanted to do in my studies i i chose to be working for for people who um uh well who, who do not have the opportunities in life to where things are not automatic that they that they can prosper and um, fortunately, I had the, I had the uh, I grew up in the Netherlands, and where you had the opportunity to educate yourself and go to university and 
and and and uh, take the opportunities that are there. But I there was always the belief that and you should be working for those who are less privileged. And uh, so that's why I chose to be working for people in developing countries. And uh, like I said, I'm, I would like, really like to work. I've met so many inspiring people there, people who make uh, their, their livelihoods out of almost nothing, you know, and these are such strong people. And then I reckon, and then I think for these people to give them the opportunities that, that I had, I think that's what I that's what motivates me in life. Dave, thank you. Um, and you know, when when I talk with with um, with these folks, um, when we talk about the drive. Uh, we also quickly talk about religion and spirituality and then about the younger generation. And some of the people that I've talked to, you know, told me, you know, the younger generation is changing how they uh, look at religion and spirituality. Others are saying, no, it's still similar. You know, maybe they are more critical towards institutionalized uh, religion, but they're still very spiritual. So if you look at your environment and, and the people you work with, uh, and specifically this younger generation, you know what is happening according to you around this, about religion and spirituality and the younger generation? I think, let's say in the way that people are trying to explain what this life is about, I think they, they will always, the people young or old, they always look for ways, but they don't look at it in the same, at the, at the same ways that the people did it in the past. So they are not that in, so much into going to church. They don't, they are not. Uh, they may not pray as the, the older generations did, um, but still they are looking for um, uh, for for yeah things that they they can go for and that they believe in that they want to put their energy in and um, that will also exp- help them to explain what the world is about and what the world is like. Um, but I think I think the major, let's say, the main churches, uh, they have lost support also because of um, things they were involved in. I think I, I was I was raised as a, as a Catholic, and it's very it's very difficult to be a Catholic now. Um, apart, apart from all the things that are not that are let's say that it, that are in the in the Catholic beliefs that like the birth control things like that. And, you know, it's very complicated to identify yourself still with that church. So then, mm. that's when you start looking for for other ways. And I think for the young people, younger generations, it's the same thing. Uh, the institutions are so far from their from their day to day lives and mm. what they really believe in, or what they they they, they look for alternative ways. Um, but I'm I'm not quite sure. It's not the same kind of spirituality that. That existed before, but um, I think people are just spiritual beings. So you have to find a way to explain yourself and to explain the world around you. And uh, I don't think that has changed. Hey, we we uh, talked. Um quite a bit already about you know challenges that we are facing as a world 
as, as uh, human beings. Um, what are the what are some of the things that you worry about most? Um, well, uh, I, I try to be an optimistic person, but sometimes mm-hmm. when you, you know, when you look at uh, news, um, I, what I'm worried about is a little, a little bit like the bubbles that people are in, especially mm-hmm. the social media bubbles, and it's very which which is sometimes frightening because people are so stuck to their beliefs that they they they, they tend to. And it's also what is what is supported by the social media. Once you mm-hmm. once you uh, entered into discussion, you get messages about the same ideas, confirming what you already think. Um, and I think that's where I'm a little bit afraid for the future, because independent news is so important and mm-hmm. verified news. And people who are studying, uh, let's say, trying to find facts like. A university is trying to doing doing studies, and you know if you can get away like saying, okay, these are alternative, and you you produce your alternative facts, or you're saying these uh, these scientific studies are not just just not true. Uh, I think this is uh, this is what worries me a lot that people get away saying these kind of things um, without any any uh, proof of that. I think. And then you you go into that bubble and you continue to believe that that, that all that is is true and that's that's what worrying me. So that are because before you had respectable newspapers and they didn't uh, well they didn't get away by printing stuff that was not uh, verified. Mm. With social media you can just say anything and um, people can run after you and it's more like okay the 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 number of uh, followers you have is more decisive for the the value of your message than whether it is checked or not and that i think is really worrying mm. where do you still see hope where i still see hope i think well um i also read that book from uh, from brechman mm-hmm. uh, most people are most people how do you call it say in, in, in english most people are are okay most yeah the, the, i think the 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 title in english is humankind okay and, and in Dutch, there is a longer title, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, and I think there is, um, um, and this is what I essentially believe. I think, in in the essence, people want to do the right thing, um, mm. so that's where I think the hope is. And most people are good people, um, so that's where I think eventually, uh, with the, those intentions, um, I think there is there is hope. And I think, but it 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 requires awareness of people. Maybe it requires um, just information, checked, balanced information for people, so that they can make their own judgment and make the right decisions. Great. That makes me hopeful. So that that's that's good. Hey, um, music is very important uh, to me, and and you know I, I still try to make music, listen to music. Um, so I asked this to all my my guests if if uh, if I would ask you to mention a, a song or a piece of music um, that embodies you know for a big part what you are about. Um, which song or piece of music would that be? Well, I, I thought I thought about it a bit, and I don't want to sound a, a bit depressing, 
Um, but there was a song that I heard. It was in somewhere in it. It originates from '76, and the song is called uh, uh, "Dam Burst." It's by a group called uh, Water, and it's like it's it's uh, almost now we're talking about uh, more than 40 years ago, and they were writing about the Earth uh, taking more or less revenge for mm-hmm. the for the damage that was done by people to it. So um, I think it's 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 a nice it's a song more or less about Mother Earth taking revenge uh, on people for for destroying it, and uh, so I felt like now with all these um, uh, natural hazards taking place, I like to think of the, uh, that that song. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like all the flooding that is taking place and all the mm-hmm. fires that are taking place, like Mother Earth is now taking revenge of all the things that we've done to it as were. Hey, I, I work for an organization that is celebrating um, its 75th anniversary this year. And so it's it's a time of you know reflecting on what we did well and what didn't go uh, as well and what we need to do, you know, for the future, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that we are reflecting on, and you, I think you mentioned it uh, about this as well in the beginning of our conversation is how did we do uh, with regard to racial justice, you know, Black Lives Matter issues. Um, So if I ask you about the NGO sector as a whole, um, how do you think this our sector did? And I totally realize it's difficult to to generalize because our you know we have a lot of different um, type of organizations. But I'm asking you to reflect on it anyway. So you know if you look at the NGO sector as a whole, how did we do? You know what type of grade would you give to our sector with regard to that topic? Well, I think I think it is important for the for the NGO sector to really reflect about what what. The NGO sector has been doing. I think for for now, um, what I see is that so many organizations are busy with their own survival. They're more occupied with their own survival than they are with achieving their mission. I think that's that's the major challenge. I think the the, the survival of the, of uh, the organization should be less important than ach- achieving your mission. And uh, I think uh, if you turn it around. You will survive if you work on your mission. You will not survive if you work on uh, fundraising to to support your own organization, because it's it's uh, that's not what you're here to do. So that's one thing. The other thing is also I think that um, well, personally, like I said, I believe in more in like market system approaches, and that's when it comes to economic opportunities. Of course, I know that that does not cover everything, and that that NGOs are working for. You also mm-hmm. work for social justice, you work for education, for healthcare, whatever. So I think it's very important. But I think for um, I think it's important to provide uh, social security kind of uh, or support systems to, to to find support systems that mm-hmm. assist people that are not able to participate in in society i think that's that's very important uh, so i think uh, ngos should really reconsider their roles but I'm, i i really think that um, um yeah ngos should really reflect on 
um, on the, on their role and, and working or two on their mission, and um, and not so much about uh, their own survival. Great, thanks. Um, I've I've one. Um, yeah, we're slowly coming to to the end of our conversation. It goes always fast, but I I would like to ask you. Um, you know, if you have any last message, invitation, or question for the listeners. I think it's for everyone uh, who's listening, I would say, please consume uh, uh, wisely uh, because consumers are actually the ones that are um, making the biggest contribution toward changes. Because if if you buy the products with uh, that are uh, certified to be fair trade, and uh, if you that are uh, uh, organic or whatever that contribute to a better world so that you can reduce your footprint and you can also contribute to a more uh, equal distribution of, of benefits of this earth. I think that's major, the, the, a more important contribution that you can make. It's more important than donating something uh, to a charitable organization, maybe once or twice a year. I think changing that, those patterns is something that can really make a difference. Great. Um, yeah, th thank you so so much, uh, Wilfried, for you know your willingness to talk with me today. Um, yeah, good luck with everything you do. And, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I know you will enjoy your your vacation soon, where you're going to cycle to uh, Spain. So uh, have a lot of fun. Thank you. Okay. Great. for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.